It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. The Bengals enter the preseason with high hopes and Joe Burrow is once again dealing with a preseason injury. Is this one enough to derail the Bengals' lofty goals? Also, why are we sleeping on the Dodgers? And Josh McDaniels will not last the season in Vegas. I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on or enter promo code locked on for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You won't want to take off your bird dogs, we promise. The Cincinnati Bengals can reasonably claim they were just a few plays away from the last two Super Bowls. Now they head into 2023 as one of the favorites yet again in a crowded, a absolute future bloodbath of an AFC. James Rapine from Locked on Bengals joins me now. And and James, you were at practices yesterday between the Packers and the Bengals. The Packers not expected to be in that same sort of tier with Cincinnati and the NFC as much as it hurts me. To admit that that is, in fact, the case. And one of the big storylines, no Joe Burrow. And the Bengals' offense struggled as a result. At what point do Cincinnati fans need to be concerned that this is going to linger? Yeah, as long as Joe Burrow's out, it's going to linger. He just means that much to this offense. He's the heartbeat, according to Mike Brown, of the entire franchise. And I, I get it and understand it. The good news from Wednesday is Burrow walked out to practice and was on the field for the first time since suffering that calf strain and looked comfortable walking. And I knew that. And, and I, the people that covered the team knew that because we've seen him in the locker room, but this was the first time we were able to capture video and show everybody that he's okay. And that he's still there and in great shape. And I, I think that's the other part of this is, is bros dealt with different ailments throughout the years last year with the appendectomy, at least this year, he doesn't have to pound protein shakes to try to put on weight. Uh, in time for week one, it's letting that calf heal, but he can still train and, and lift and do things like that. He's just not able to, to do much with that right leg right now as he lets it heal. So overall, the offensive struggles, they'll continue without Burrow, but what's around him is certainly much better. Obviously, we know about the skill players, but the offensive line, I, I think, has been a big concern. And this is the best offensive line he's had, at least on paper, since he's entered the NFL. But do you think they've done enough? Is this line championship caliber based on, let's just say, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks? I believe so. I do. I think uh, there were questions about Jonah Williams and whether or not he could transition to right tackle. Some are still going to have questions. I will say this. He handled his own and played well on Wednesday, had to deal with Preston Smith, had to deal uh, with multiple, Inik Barre as well, like multiple guys on that Packers front and looked good doing it, whether it was team drills, one-on-ones. And so we'll see, but if he can stay healthy, and that's the part of this that really is tough. But if, if this Bengals offensive line can stay healthy, I think they are confident that Orlando Brown Jr. can be a franchise left tackle. 
They love their interior linemen, Ted Karras, Cordell Volson, and Alex Kappa all back together for a second straight season starting. Kappa didn't participate on Wednesday, more of a precautionary thing than anything. So the question coming into camp was about right tackle. If Jonah Williams could make that transition from left to right, and so far he's done a great job and he looked good on Wednesday as well. So I think they've done a lot. I think the offensive line should be much improved, maybe even slightly above average or above average. And if that's the case, Bro's going to have more time. Joe Mixon's going to have more running lanes than, than either of those guys have had time or running lanes in recent years. Finish up a couple of young defensive players going to be called upon to fill big shoes and, and fill important positions, potentially DJ Turner, a second round, this most recent draft, Dax Hill, who was a first round pick a year ago, going to step into, we, we believe, much bigger roles here. What have you seen from them? And do they appear to have what it takes? Dax Hill's got a lot of responsibility on this defense. And when you lose Jesse Bates to, in free agency, and we knew it was coming, and then Von Bell goes to Carolina, it's a lot of experience and, and a lot of just veteran leadership that walked out the door. And so I, I think they're going to be worse at safety. I think that's okay to say. That being said, that doesn't mean they're going to be bad in that area. And so Dax Hill is going to lead the charge. I think he's going to play the most snaps in that safety room. They also signed Nick Scott. They have Jordan Battle there rotating a bit. Maybe there's some three safety looks. We saw that on Wednesday a little bit. But Hill, I, I'm confident that he can be a, an above average player in this league and certainly versatile in Luana Rumo's defense. And DJ Turner, I wasn't overly impressed by him during the offseason program and that's no knock it's it's more of they're not even full practices or anything like that they're just kind of running around trying to get the playbook down but he's really shined throughout training camp that doesn't mean he's been perfect he's given up plays but he's always making plays and he doesn't panic with the ball in the air is able to track the ball well which for a young corner some guys lose it in the air or they panic if they don't feel the receiver he just uses his speed to catch up and make a play on the ball. And more times than not, that's what he does. So I think that the Bengals in a perfect world wouldn't necessarily have to start DJ Turner early on this year, maybe at all this year with Chido Beowuzie working his way back. Dax Hill is certainly going to start week one and they're banking on him. And obviously Turner will be that cornerback four backing up multiple spots. Stay up to date all year on the Cincinnati Bengals by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Bengals on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, are we too bored of the Dodgers ruling the regular season? Before we get to that, the Phillies' big trade deadline acquisition on the pitching side came up huge last night. I never had a pair of shorts that made me look good while also being really comfortable until I had a pair of bird dogs. And now I have one, two, at least six pair of bird dogs. Bird dogs make you look good. Their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit like a dream. I just wore them to travel. In fact, I took two pair of bird dog shorts and one pair of bird dog joggers with me on vacation for like a week. They invented cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. You can seriously go from the couch to the golf course to a night out all in the same pair of bird dogs. These are the most comfortable pair of shorts I've ever owned. It's why I went out and bought a bunch more after I tried on just one pair. I was like, this is, these are life-changing. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on or enter promo code locked on for a free white tech hat with your order. 
The white tech hat looks great, by the way. That's birddogs.com slash locked on or promo code locked on for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. In just his second start, his home debut for the Philadelphia Phillies, Michael Lorenzen threw a no-hitter. What a night for the Philadelphia Phillies and Michael Lorenzen. Connor Thomas, your host of Locked On Phillies. And my goodness, I thought Weston Wilson hitting a home run in his Major League debut first at bat was going to be the story of the night. And then Michael Lorenzen goes and upstages him. The 14th no-hitter in Philadelphia Phillies history. I'm going to be honest. I've never watched one start to finish before. I've seen moments. I've seen pieces. Roy Halladay's postseason no-hitter, I listened to on the radio. The perfect game, I saw a little bit of, but this is the first one I ever watched start to finish. And what a home debut by Michael Lorenzo. I don't know what more to say. It was a magical moment at Citizens Bank Park. The whole night just had that vibe of just greatness. And I'm honestly speechless. But hopefully I won't be for the next episode of Locked on Phillies. Y'all go and check it out now. We'll talk more tomorrow. Could it be that the honeymoon phase is already over for the Jets? New York center Connor McGovern sensed a disturbance in the force after practice. I sense frustration from everybody, he said. Everybody on the O-line, Aaron, the coaches. You can't go three and out in a two-minute drive like that. Rodgers faced constant pressure from the Carolina pass rush in a joint practice Wednesday with the Panthers. He ended a spotty day for the Jets offense with a pair of incomplete passes that saw the Jets go three and out in that no-huddle situation. Meanwhile, Panthers rookie quarterback Bryce Young marched the length of the field in the two-minute for a field goal against the Jets' defensive starters. Unexpected costs for your home are a bummer. With how much their new stadium is going to end up costing them, the Buffalo Bills can relate. They are already facing a potential cash crunch with the latest projections having the team on the hook for as much as $300 million in cost overruns. There are cost overruns and then there are cost overruns. What was initially estimated to cost $1.4 billion with a B dollars in March of 2022 has transformed to almost $1.7 billion now. The rising price tag is notable because the bills are contractually required to cover any overruns beyond the then agreed to cost of $1.4 billion as part of a tentative deal they reached with the state and Erie County 16 months ago. Surging labor and material costs were cited for the increased price, with one person in a report saying one line item has already come in $75 million over budget. Hopefully, you don't have those same sorts of cost overruns on your next project at your house. Elsewhere on the diamond, do not call what the Milwaukee Brewers did to the Colorado Rockies an ugly win. Hi, everybody. Chuck Freeman here at the Lockdown Brewers. Anchored out, so we'll be dropping Lockdown Brewers a little bit later on. Somebody asked counsel after a 7-6 win today, and wish he took two or three from the Rockies, was that an ugly win? God, I mean, every so often during a season, you hear somebody ask that stupid question. I don't know who it was, but why would you say that? That just tells me, like, the person who asked that or asked that type of question never been involved in sports before. This is the first time seeing a sporting event. Winning isn't easy. It's not. They don't hand you wins. It's difficult to win a game. All right? And, and Council says, yeah, call it what you want. The Brewers won that game. 
Yeah, Canna made the error on the top of the 10th and redeemed himself with an RBI double in the bottom of the 10th. Not an ugly win. A win, we're going to talk about it, and the Brewers took two or three. We'll talk about that on Lockdown Brewers. And whatever you do, don't make a big deal about the Twins losing to the Tigers. Twins drop another tough one to the Tigers, 9-5. Bailey Ober giving up 11 hits in five innings. And in general, the Twins just kind of looking out of sorts all night long. Obviously not ideal to lose to a Tigers team that's still 12 games under 500. But I think people are still letting things get away from them. This is the kind of game teams lose all the time, all season long. Yeah, it stinks. And no, it's not really a silver lining that the Guardians lost. Sure, it's nice the Twins are still four and a half up in the division. Don't get me wrong, that's true. And it's not great to lose to again, like I said, Detroit. But again, this happens every single season, every single week to every single team. And we just got to chill out a little bit. Here's the stat you won't hear anywhere else. Twins lead MLB with 30 games of at least 10 strikeouts pitching and hitting. No other team has more than 26, and that's the Giants. Here is another story you need to know. The LA Dodgers are back in first place in the National League West, but all season, really, they have not gotten the headlines even in their own city because those headlines tend to belong to that guy named Shohei Otani. Jeff Snyder from Locked On Dodgers joins me now. And Jeff, it is a weird thing to say. I think they've kind of snuck up. If you look at the standings, okay, you look at point differential, all of a sudden their run differential is as good as any team in baseball. And so how have they suddenly looked like the team that, that we thought they would be coming into the year and the team that they were, by the way, all of last season? Yeah, I mean, the the, the fact is they have a really good team. And they're offensively, they're one of the best teams we've ever seen on the Dodgers. Uh, and the the crazy part is that they are in first place despite the fact that their pitching has been somewhere between average and atrocious for most of the year. Uh, and it's uh, it's something that it, it's that's not going to carry into the postseason. So they have a comfortable-ish lead in the National League West. And, uh, you know, chances are the winner of the West is going to get one of those two buys because the NL Central – you know, no offense to any Brewers fans who may be on this call, but, you know, whoever wins the NL Central probably is going to have a worse record than whoever wins the NL West. And so they have some time to figure some things out, but they got to figure this pitching out because uh, postseason pitching gets pretty important. Were you surprised that, that they were not more aggressive at the trade deadline considering some of the names that were out there and ultimately got moved? Well, I mean, they were aggressive. And as far as the guys who got moved, honestly, I, I can honestly say, of guys who got traded to teams other than the Dodgers, Justin Verlander is the only one who I wish the Dodgers had gotten. Everybody else, it was Dylan Cease and, you know, uh, guys who got talked about but didn't ultimately end up getting moved. And, you know, and uh, Justin Verlander wanted to play for the Astros. And uh, what's his name for the Tigers? Didn't want to play for the Dodgers. Didn't want, didn't want to leave Detroit, you know, because who would want to leave that uh, – hotbed of baseball activity in Detroit to play for a, a contender. And so, you know, they, they were aggressive. They just didn't get anything done. And, but the fact is the guys they did get Lance Lynn has been a huge pickup for them because one of the things they really needed to help their bullpen out was a guy who could pitch a lot of innings. Lance Lynn has pitched 13 innings as two starts and he's allowed just four runs of those 13 innings. He's been really good. Kike Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario have both been very, very good pickups being deployed only mostly against left-handed pitching, you know, in the, in the right situations, they're good pickups. Joe Kelly's been very good out of the bullpen. So the moves they did make uh, were solid. 
there just wasn't anything flashy, but that was mostly out of their control, I think. So I think that that raises the question for us. Do they have enough hitting? Do they have enough offense? And you, you mentioned the historic levels that we have seen here in the postseason. When the game changes, when, when we know things like situational hitting, and then, of course, that pitching becomes really, really important. The bullpen becomes really, really important. Do they have enough there understanding that, you know, injuries has played a role here too? Yeah. I mean, the good news is the game doesn't actually change that much in the postseason. What happened last year was the Dodgers hit a slump at a really bad time. I mean, they went 0 for 20 with runners in scoring position at one stretch. If they go 4 for 20 in that stretch, they sweep the Padres in the NLDS. And 4 for 20 is still bad. But, you know, it was that remarkably, unbelievably bad is the reason they lost that series. And so, you know, chances are, yeah, it, you do face, in general, slightly better pitching. Dodgers have hit plenty of good pitchers this year. They they can do it. Doesn't mean they will, but you you have a better chance of doing it with a team full of guys like Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts and Will Smith and, and those guys than you do with a bad team. And so, you know, as a Dodger fan, I'm I'm numb to the pain. I'm too familiar with offenses going cold at the wrong time in the, in the postseason to be too confident about it, but I'm more confident about it than I would be if they had a bad offensive team. Stay up to date all year on the LA Dodgers by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Dodgers on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, Josh McDaniels is not long for the head coaching chair of the Raiders. Derek Carr, gone. Darren Waller, see you later. Weapons outside of Dante Adams and Josh Jacobs? If I hear of one, I'll let you know. Josh McDaniels doesn't exactly have a star-studded cast to work with in 2023, but Locked On NFL scouting host Joe Marino does not believe that will save his job for very long. For the Las Vegas Raiders, I predict that Josh McDaniels does not finish the year as the head coach. I don't know how you could look at this roster and feel good about what they have entering the league or entering the year, especially in, a, in the AFC West. I think they're clearly the fourth best team. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, that doesn't excite me. Uh, we have no idea if Hunter Renfro is going to really be part of this mix. You've seen them trade away players, right, to, that, that could help them. Uh, I just don't like the way this team is constructed. I, I, especially within the context of the conference and the division. Um, they won six games last year. It was a, it was a drop-off, right, for whatever you wanted to criticize Mike Mayock and John Gruden. It went from uh, a two-win team to a 10-win team in, in a short period of time, and then they regressed. And I don't think that on paper this roster is any better. I have massive concerns about it, and, and I just don't have a lot of faith in Josh McDaniels either as a head coach. So I think he doesn't get out of the season as the coach. Look, I get it. It's going to be ugly in Las Vegas this year. And yeah, poor babies. They get the, the heat, the winter, all of the amenities in those places. But one thing we know about Mark Davis, he's not going to want to pay multiple coaches if he doesn't have to. Pay John Gruden a lot of money. And it took a, a damning damning circumstance outside of football for Gruden to be gone. Now you pay big money to bring in Josh McDaniels and now it's just over in the middle of the season. I don't see it. I just don't see it. I see it going bad enough that that could happen, that in another franchise, in another circumstance, it would happen. 
I just don't see it happening with the Raiders. And finally, the NBA has levied a fine on Anthony Edwards for hitting two bystanders with a chair following the T-Wolves' season-ending playoff loss to the Nuggets. The reason it took the NBA so long to pass judgment is because there was a criminal investigation that was just dismissed last month. The fine is for $50,000, not a small chunk of change, considering Edwards just got the rookie max contract extension from Minnesota. I think he'll be okay. But let that be a lesson to all of you who would throw controllers when you lose NBA 2K. Someone could press charges. NBA probably won't find you, though. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, we look at what to watch for in the first official weekend of preseason NFL action. So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.